In June 2020, a flurry of messages pinged through. Today we had our domain seized illegally by government entities. They repurposed our domain to launch an attack to compromise the carbon units. Due to the level of sophistication of attack and the malware code, we can no longer guarantee the security of your device. We took immediate action on our network by disabling connectivity to combat the attack. These were messages sent to users of EncroChat, a company who sold and ran custom-made encrypted phones, which they claimed guaranteed anonymity. These phones were predominantly used by alleged organized criminals in Northwest Europe. But that guaranteed anonymity fell short when the EncroChat network was hacked by law enforcement. What they found was a litany of criminal behavior, drug deals and shipments, money laundering and arms trafficking, corrupt police officers, the organization of a murder, and even the discovery of a torture chamber hidden within a shipping container. This is Deep Dive, exploring organized crime from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. In all, this is tens of millions of text messages, which is almost like an unfathomable amount of data uh, in an ordinary hack, let alone one which is specifically on a largely criminal user base by law enforcement. And I do, I do want journalists and, and syndicalists and and, and 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 whistleblowers to be able to to be protected from an, an overbearing law agency. But we also need to be legally able to try to get access to private communication if we have good reasons to believe. One of the UK sting operations on one of the EncroChat businesses took £5 million in cash in one bust, which was the largest ever cash haul that the UK police had ever seized. You've always got politicians saying, let's see, let's turn off the dark web, for example. You, you can't do that. That's like saying, let's turn off the internet. In fact, some of them are saying, let's get rid of encryption. That would kill the internet. But in this case, they're just straight up talking about drug dealing, uh, presumably because they believe that they had the security to do so. Today, we're talking about the fall of EncroChat. We have been forced to make the difficult decision to shut down our service and our business permanently. Much of this story has been reported by Motherboard, the technology arm of Vice News, who have been investigating the takedown of EncroChat. I'm Joseph Cox, senior staff writer at Motherboard. So if you can start off, first of all, Joseph, and talk to us a little bit about the the Motherboard investigation itself into the actual EncroChat operation. Sure. So this investigation started where rumours were bubbling on a number of crime blogs and forums I follow. These are websites that aren't necessarily run by criminals, but their primary audience is clearly criminal in nature. You know, they'll have news of certain arrests or certain law enforcement operations or stuff like that. And often they cover the so-called encrypted phone industry, which are these, you know, custom devices heavily used by organized crime that will encrypt their messages or do various other security benefits. They published a message allegedly from EncroChat, as in the main company itself, 
announcing that some of their domains would be taken over by a government attacker, whatever that may have meant at the time. From there, we tried to verify that message and managed to do it. Uh, and then, of course, eventually, we ended up speaking to EncroChat itself, uh, as well as um, law enforcement announcing this operation. So it kind of came from those um, crime blogs originally, but of course spiraled uh, from there after we got various documents and sources. Obviously, given all of this information that's coming out and this this hack went on for a while, during your research of this story, did you ever receive any comment from EncroChat themselves? Yes. So just before our main investigation, I mean, we covered the the announcement of the hack and some of various other fallout, but our main investigation, we managed to get in touch with somebody from um, EncroChat itself, and they positioned themselves as a legitimate phone company that had clients, I think they said they said in over 140 countries, um, and they've been illegally targeted. Um, that's a common stance in the uh, encrypted phone industry. And in some cases, it's true. I mean, there's another firm called Phantom Secure that the FBI eventually closed down. That did, um, I, I know from speaking uh, to people involved in the company, that did start as a legitimate firm. And eventually it did then cater to criminal clients. You then have other ones like MPC, which was based in Scotland, which was deliberately created by organized crime figures for organized crime figures. Uh, EncroChat, we don't exactly know where it sits right now. All we know is that a very large percentage of its eventual users were criminals uh, when it was eventually shut down. And and when did EncroChat actually realize that their devices had been hacked? So it would have been earlier this year, and the timeline is a little bit fuzzy, but it seems that uh, the government-backed attackers, as they describe them, broke into the phones or broke into the EncroChat server uh, and you know started sort of their, their machinations, their attacks there. And then EncroChat detected it, um, pushed uh, you know another update to try to block it, and eventually was unsuccessful. They were initially tipped off because um, some EncroChat users started to complain that hey, my uh, my wipe feature isn't working, which is you know you type in a PIN number into the device and it will remove all of your messages or something like that, which of course is um could be useful for getting rid of you know evidence uh, if you're a criminal and that was sort of the initial point where encro started looking into it and then they discovered this attack on their network and and how did they respond to that because i mean this is fundamental to their business is is this encryption and then to know that that is suddenly being attacked i mean how did they respond yeah, it was a complete existential threat. And what they, they did initially was, you know, try to find out where the attack was coming from, find out what the malware did, and they were apparently successful in that. And then they pushed a wide message, uh, seemingly to all of their users, warning them, hey, this has happened, um, bin your device or dispose of it, I think they suggested. And then that was the message that ended up on the crime blogs that we uh, managed to verify. And then that's when we picked up the story. It was basically after EncroChat warned its users that we were uh, aware of it. If they hadn't have done that, I imagine law enforcement still, of course, would have announced the operation, but maybe not as quickly or maybe not as loudly. I'm I'm not sure. But it was EncroChat's own actions and informing its users that um, tipped us off to it as well. In the months before the hack was discovered, users were in disbelief at how law enforcement were able to intercept and arrest alleged members of organised drug gangs. Joseph tracked down one of those users from the UK called Mark. 
Yeah, so with Mark, uh, he's an alleged UK-based uh, drug dealer, and he was doing his normal, you know, wanders up around die, just doing his uh, normal trafficking activities, but people around him were getting picked up, uh, increasingly so, and he even made a... He even noticed this in a in a text message to an associate, um, saying, "You know, why are all my people being arrested?" Um, unbeknownst to him, perhaps there were all these other arrests going on around the country and, and around the continent as well. I don't exactly know when he found out. Perhaps it was from the EncroChat warning message, but he certainly would have known when he was eventually arrested and they presented the evidence because the the document we obtained uh, contains much of the evidence against him and that contains his actual EncroChat text messages. Um, and so at that point, he, he must have been aware how severe this sort of breach of his uh, own phone security had been. And Mark wasn't alone. According to sources within French law enforcement, his messages were just a small number of the several hundred million intercepted. And those same sources added that the hack allowed them to anticipate their actions as if we were sitting at the preparation table with them. But before we go into how and why this hack happened, let's take a break from the story and look at EncroChat itself. What was it and how did it work? We are recording now, so you'll see the sound waves going across your screen. Yep. Um, So first of all, Jake, if you could start off by introducing your name, give us your full name and your title and the organization with which you work for. Okay, yeah. So I'm Jake Moore. I'm a cybersecurity specialist at ESET. So if we can start off, first of all, can you tell us what is EncroChat and who was it designed for? Okay, so EncroChat was one of the largest fully encrypted communication platforms and it provided secure Android phones uh, with a platform to securely communicate um, with the options to erase data from their device, uh, including erasing the messages shortly after they've been sent. Uh, It's designed for anyone to use, but as you can imagine, criminals would jump on something that sounds so interesting. And you mentioned there the the specific operating system that's built into to this seemingly standard Android phone. How is it possible to have one operating system working alongside another? It's effectively like an app itself, but working in an area of the of the device that only allows certain functions to go in and out of. So it won't allow access to the microphone or the camera or the GPS while it's working. And again, that's the attractive part to it. You all know about your normal devices. They'll come up as soon as you install an app for the first time. And it says, would you like your phone to have, or this app to have access to your photos, for example, and you say yes or no, or there might be different levels of privileges. But within this particular operating system, it's killing that by default. It's disabling permanently as well that access, which could be therefore argued to, well, in order to avoid any hacking on that device. So if you look at one of these EncroChat devices, they look just like a normal Android smartphone and they also operate like one. But there are some noticeable differences, such as the camera, GPS tracking, and also the USB port disabled. But most importantly of all, they also have a dual operating system, which means hidden within that normal phone was a separate operating system which had all of EncroChat's encrypted software on it. 
Here's Joseph Cox from Motherboard again. Yeah, so Anchor Chat would take a normal stock Android phone that you could just call, sort of buy anywhere, uh, and they just chose a particular model, presumably for price or compatibility reasons or whatever it may be, and they loaded their own software onto it. As well as you know the encrypted messaging feature, it also had this dual boot operating system. One would be innocuous looking, where you would just have you know some banal apps, maybe a note-taking app, a normal text messaging app, whatever it may be, just something that's not going to antagonize law enforcement or any way. But if you then typed in a different code, you would boot up the separate EncroChat operating system. And this is where your you know, secure chat messaging application may be. Maybe your secure note-taking application would be. Um, and on top of that dual boot, there was the wipe system as well. So if the if you did know the police were coming, perhaps you could you know, just hit four zeros or whatever the pin may be and then wipe your device immediately. So there were various fail-safes there that customers could use if they're about to be raided by law enforcement. Um, of course, that still relies on the user actually doing it. Uh, you know, and it depends whether the user was actually aware or not to deploy those mechanisms. But it's a pretty interesting thing to have a dual boot operating system in a smartphone. You don't see that with all of the, all of the encrypted phone companies. So hidden within this dual boot system was an apparent wipe feature. Imagine... Law enforcement are at the door and you have one of these phones with all kinds of messages on it. You hit a specific pin code and... Everything incriminating is gone. You can see what a problem that could be to law enforcement. And this wasn't the only feature. Disappearing messages was another. And this isn't unusual. We see the same software on apps like Signal and Telegram. But it's another hurdle for law enforcement to get over but it's not an impossible task. Here's Jake Moore again. Yeah, so deleting data, it does come down to how it's deleted. Uh, again, part of my job was to recover deleted data. Now, if you were to download a video off the internet and it's not exactly what you expect it to be, um, you then might delete it. It first of all goes into your deleted items, but you might be thinking one step ahead of that and think, well, I'm going to flush my, my recycle bin. Now, it's still there. Effectively, what you've done is you've ripped out the chapter page of a book. Um, you might not know where that data is, but you know where you know if you read through the whole book, you'd find the chapter. And that, that's always how it works with computers. Uh, you'd be able to go and find that data if you look through it. You might not have a time and a date stamp on it, for example, but you'd be able to find the actual data that you're after. But when it comes down to these types of devices that are specifically designed to permanently wipe. And they say permanently, the only real way they can do that is to overwrite that data. So by deleting it, you don't do anything other than say it's not there. But overwriting it, you'd have to go and write it with more data. Effectively, it's just zeros and ones. So what's called zero writing over the data, you just place a ton of zeros all over where it was. And if it's designed to do that, you can do that quite cleverly. And then you wouldn't be able to get that data back because it's designed to effectively die as soon as you've read it. The EncroChat device's hidden operating system had an end-to-end encrypted messaging service and it worked like this. So the sender would write a message to his contact and hit send. The message then travels through the EncroChat servers and then finally arrives at the recipient's own EncroChat device. Why this is important will be clear later. And given the secretive nature of these devices, was it as simple as going into a shop to buy one? Here's Joseph Cox again. 
At least when I spoke to one um, current inmate who said they used Encro phones, they said that they met a phone dealer in a, what looked like a normal street drug deal, essentially. They, they meet someone nearby, they give them cash in hand, they get the phone. And that's just one EncroChat deal I've heard of. I would say that more generally with the encrypted phone companies, sometimes you can order them online. Sometimes there can be a physical shop. But, you know, especially now with law enforcement paying increased attention to some of, if not all of these phone companies, it is uh, leaning towards these sort of in-person cash deals. Some phone sellers I've spoken to for other encrypted phone companies, they said they would only sell the device that someone recommended to them by a current customer or people who, you know, came from the zoo, you know, referring to a prison or the criminal underworld. So there can be a vouch system. It's not necessarily exclusive and some other people do dispute that there's a vouch system, but it's seller to seller. And some people clearly do that sort of mechanism as well. So how much would it cost to enjoy these benefits? For the device and a six-month license, it could cost up to $3,000, which is not an insignificant amount of money. But when it appears that the vast majority of users were involved in alleged organised criminal behaviour, it's hardly a surprise that they were willing to pay extra in an attempt to be hidden from the eyes of the law. Indeed, we saw that in the latter months of 2020, Europol released its Internet Organised Crime Threat Assessment Report, in which it stated that there were approximately 60,000 EncroChat customers and that, and I quote, a very high share of users engaged in criminal activity. User hotspots were particularly present in source and destination countries for the cocaine and cannabis trade, as well as money laundering centers, end quote. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Remember those warnings that EncroChat sent out to users? Well, they came too late. A series of firecrackers marked the start of an armed raid to capture a key figure in London's criminal underworld. It's part of the country's biggest ever crackdown on organised crime. Gun running, drug trafficking and money laundering made up a world which has too often been out of reach of police. But cracking an encrypted criminal command and control system has delivered what one police chief described as an unparalleled victory for law enforcement against the untouchables. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Han Moraal. I'm the national member for the Netherlands at Eurojust. Today we welcome you to listen to French Dutch and EU judicial and law enforcement authorities who will present to you an international criminal investigation and prosecution. A case about a joint investigation team with the aim to dismantle EncroChat, an encrypted phone network widely used by criminal networks. On the 2nd of July 2020, in the midst of national lockdowns all over the world, there was a coordinated operation across Europe which the National Crime Agency in the UK called Operation Venetic. We are recording now, um, so I don't need to ask who you are, because I know. But I can tell so you anyway, and the dog's well, drinking water, so you might want to uh, wait for a second. <laughs> okay, let, let me have your name and title, please. 
Hello, I'm Tuesday Ray Tano, the Deputy Director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. And the dog's still drinking water. <laughs> I, can, I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's like a small ocean. Okay, he stopped. Okay. Um, have we seen an operation by law enforcement on this scale before? We have. But Operation Venetic had a number of really clear standout features that are worth noting and I think why it's become such a big deal. Firstly, it was one of the longest abilities of the police to monitor ongoing operations. So they stayed as part of the Encrochet network, infiltrated it, and were monitoring the networks and the calls and seeing the messages for several months, which allowed for a repeated number of busts on different operations. It also resulted in some record-breaking hauls. One of the UK sting operations on one of the EncroChat businesses took £5 million in cash in one bust, which was the largest ever cash haul that the UK police had ever seized. The other thing that really helped it to stand out was the fact that it was the full range of criminal actors who were using EncroChat as a communications means. So whereas often sting operations will only pick up frontline vendors, This was showing the communication of some of the organized crime elite. So the top of the pyramid European network controllers were also using EncroChat and it provided evidence which allowed them to be arrested for the first time. In one day, 746 arrests were made, tons of illicit drugs, tens of millions in cash and illegal firearms were all seized by law enforcement. It was also revealed that messages intercepted from EncroChat led Dutch police to a shipping container equipped with a dentist chair with restraints and tools for torture. Just head online, you can find the footage from the police raid. But let's back up for a moment. How did law enforcement gain access to the EncroChat encrypted network? Well, they hacked it. Joseph Cox from Motherboard can explain. So with end-to-end encryption, that is you send a message, it's encrypted on your own phone, and then it's decrypted only by the phone who's supposed to receive it. Cops can't, you know, use a normal wiretap. They can't intercept the communication. And if they do, it's just going to be a load of encrypted garbage to them that they're not going to be able to read. The way to get around that is to get malware on the phone itself, the endpoint in the end-to-end encryption sort of mechanism. And this is where the EncroChat operation really differs from some other recent law enforcement actions against encrypted phone companies. This was pretty broad in scope. The malware could, of course, obtain the messages uh, before they were encrypted or rather just rip them straight from the phone. And then another document we got suggested they may have also been able to get GPS locations and other sorts of information. Of course, each piece of law enforcement malware varies from from operation to operation. But very generally speaking, if you get malware onto an endpoint, onto the phone, you can be that phone essentially. Um, So you may be able to get all sorts of other information as well. It just depends what particular information the law enforcement agency wanted at that time so you mentioned there this idea that that, that once the malware is in there you're you're essentially you are that phone and so what what kind of data did this malware reveal and, and how many of these encrypted messages were actually intercepted the main piece of data which that we certainly know was obtained by this malware is the totally huge cachet of actual message content that was taken from the devices and all this is tens of millions 
of text messages, which is almost like an unfathomable amount of data uh, in an ordinary hack, let alone one which is specifically on a largely criminal user base by law enforcement. And in there, you have alleged drug dealers uh, talking about their operations, alleged money launderers talking about uh, their work as well. Just the entire um, network, logistics, communications of alleged organized crime rings right there in these text messages. With organized criminals shifting to digital technologies just like the rest of society, this malware enabled law enforcement to see messages between alleged criminals in real time. Just listen to what the Dutch head of the Central Investigations Division, Andy Craig, said at the Europol press conference about EncroChat. Through cyber technologies that uh, we have, we've managed to trace all these messages. And this has allowed us to have a clear view of the criminal networks in the Netherlands, their leaders, their trade they're involved in, and their modus operandi. Now, what seems to be uh, possible, in, only in thrillers and in uh, police series, we've actually seen it happen before our own eyes during these past few years. We've actually been able to see what happens in real time with the criminals. And these uh, messages that we've captured uh, give us a, a very detailed uh, view of uh, daily life in the uh, criminal world. We understand better who these people are and how they work. It's no doubt that this was a remarkable achievement for law enforcement. Getting into an encrypted service is no joke. It's hard. We've heard that this was an international operation, but it had to start somewhere. Where did the malware come from? There we go. So you can see the sound waves going across the screen. Yep, yep it is. Um, so first of all, thank you very much for, for joining me on this podcast. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so for, first of all, if you, start by if you could introduce yourself, so um, your full name and how you'd like to be introduced, so the name of the company you work for and so on. So my name is Edouard Klein, and I currently work for Sequoia.io. It's, uh, it's a French company that does cybersecurity using uh, a data-driven and intelligence-driven approach. So can you tell us about your involvement with the C3N unit? Yep, yep, of course. So I signed a five-year contract from 2015 to 2020. And uh, at the C3N, I was um, managing all scientific research. And um, I also lent a hand on, on technical investigations, for example, the Loki case or, or a huge case of money laundering using a prepaid credit card. I did a second Bitcoin seizure uh, of, the, of the gendarmerie. If a case was very specific and very technical, I would be called to, to help. And also I did uh, software development and system administration, network administration and so on. The C3N unit is an elite cyber unit within the French National Police, and this is the unit that cracked the EncroChat network. Edouard has now left the unit and entered the private sector, but worked for them for five years until 2020. What was involved with the the EncroChat operation specifically? Of course, I know there is. There's, you know, we've seen what was released to the media, and I was just wondering if what we know about that. Yeah, so I can't obviously be specific, but we, we were in France. The citizen was uh, the command and control center of the operation. So we were collaborating with international peers, uh, sister units working on this case as well. And we were also coordinating the work of the technical experts 
and uh, technical ex experts can arrange on uh, experts on the phone that were the actual terminal of communication, and as well as uh, language uh, translators, for example, because not all communication were easily uh, understandable. Even if it was in English, he, they used uh, specific words uh, that may not be obvious in meaning. And also, there was a lot of um, legal pa paperwork to do to make sure that everything we did was by the book because we could not have such a huge case be jeopardized by a clerical mistake, for example. It's, it's, for me, it's as much as an administrative victory uh, than, uh, than it is a technical one. Mm. I was just wondering because, and, and forgive me if, if I'm getting this wrong, but just from reading um, around, there were certainly discussions that the way that CTM was able to, to kind of get into the EncroChat network was essentially by seizing a server and, and putting a form of malware within to that server. And that was a way they were able to essentially from that then monitor monitor communications in real time. Yeah, I really can't say anything about that. Yeah, um, I thought that was Yeah, I, I it's, it's a new... What you're talking about is... An, I can't say whether... I can confirm or deny whether it's, it, it's been used in this case, but it's a new capability that uh, that is legally available to uh, select a handful of units, of which the C3N is one. And it's. I, I do. I do believe it strikes a good balance between privacy and 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 obviously, as Uncle Chat shows, a tool to fight organized crime. Mm. But it's not something you um, can deploy on on any case. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was wondering with this because one one of the things I often hear is is the law enforcement struggle because of the, the they're not able to be as adaptable as organized criminals. Do you think that this approach of if this was indeed the approach that was taken that using something like malware or whatever as as a, a quite a, a modern form usually the type of thing you hear a hacker would use you know is that kind of a a useful tool for law enforcement to actually legally be allowed to use yes it is it is because um i mean taping the phone was is something that is done it's routine like uh, you can do a drug case without taping a few phones but nowadays phones uh, have encrypted means of communication i do believe like that, that encryption is necessary in a democratic society and i, I do i do want journalists and, and syndicalists and, and whistleblowers to be able to to be protected from an, an overbearing law agency but we, we also need to be legally able to try to get access to private communication if we have good reasons to believe and and with check and balances made by the judicial system reason to believe that the communication is is unlawful and this invasion of privacy should be uh, costly so that it's, it's only used on cases that are worth it and we just can put a recording device on every phone so so of course we yeah i think the the the, the way it is now is is a good balance between usefulness and, and and protection of the citizen striking that balance between a right to privacy and the ability of law enforcement to gather intelligence is difficult the legality of the EncroChat hack has been questioned by some, the company, obviously, but also in courts around Europe, where those arrested are currently being tried. Yet, at the Europol press conference, the gathered law enforcement made it clear that they believe it was perfectly legal. The technical investigations which were undertaken by the uh, gendarmerie officials, in a coordinated manner, allowed it them to see that that encrypted technology solution, which had not been officially declared in France, had been used via servers based in France for an international clientele. They used a particular 
technology for capturing data, which is in accordance with French law and French criminal procedure. And the use of that technology was also monitored by the investigating judge. Contrary to the claims made by the Encrochet network, which had been uh, repeated by the international press, everything that was done in French, France by the French authorities was entirely lawful and approved. Encrypted networks such as EncroChat do encourage the use of such devices or software by organized criminals. Europol said as much in its Internet Organized Crime Threat Assessment 2020 report. But encryption is a valuable tool for individual privacy, for journalists, for whistleblowers, and so on. You may get some people who don't necessarily understand encryption who say, let's get rid of it. But my guest Jake Moore has a perfect response to that. That would kill the internet. If you do go and get rid of something that is uh, of a frustration to the police, you're just displacing it and maybe maybe putting the, the brakes on for a little bit, but it will soon pop back up somewhere else. This operation lasted years and reached its crescendo in July 2020, but it is still ongoing. Due to the vast amount of data that's been amassed, arrests around Europe are still being made. Others are waiting for court dates, others have already pled guilty. The legality of the hack has been argued but largely denied. So with hundreds of alleged organised criminals potentially in custody, what impact will this have on the ability of criminal groups to operate? Here's the Deputy Director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime, Tuesday Ritano. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's worth remembering that organised crime, though we tend to describe it almost like a monolithic entity, isn't one. It's made up of lots of little small groups who network together. So I think there's no question that the bringing down of EncroChat will have hurt some of those small groups, possibly irreparably. They may never be able to reconstitute. But the network as a whole will find other ways and other partners. So I think we're all confident that this has damaged the fabric of European organized crime networks as an entity. Do we think that it will prevent organized crime in its entirety functioning effectively again? Unfortunately not. And realistically, how long is it going to take before many of similar schemes find new partners to continue? Probably only a matter of weeks, maybe months. And so as a result of that, will we see a significant reduction in the illicit goods that are entering into to Northwest Europe as a result? No, I don't think so. I think you'll see a temporary reduction in some illicit goods. But again, it's worth being a little bit more granular. Overall, there tends to be a hierarchy of illicit commodities. The high value commodities, typically narcotics, uh, cocaine and heroin, some methamphetamines, are the top of that pyramid. And then it cascades down through other forms of illicit commodities like counterfeit medicines, illicit wildlife, um, other counterfeit goods. And the pyramid has different levels of surveillance. It requires different levels of secrecy to conduct its affairs. A lot of illicit trade happens on the surface web, in fact. And so the organized crime groups who are working in those industries barely use the level of encryption that others do. Um, we do a lot of research on online environmental crime markets, and nearly all of that is happening entirely on the surface web, on Facebook, in, in, on Instagram, on e-marketplaces like eBay. So that sort of thing, because it's low surveillance, happens in 
broadly plain sight. Whereas the drug trafficking, and EncroChat here was a logistical framework, the groups were using it to coordinate their operations. This will have hit at the fabric of the physical movement of commodities across border. But all of our analysis through our networks, and we did a lot during COVID, for example, showed how resilient actually these supply chains were. So even during COVID, when we had widespread border closures, airports closing down almost completely, shipments being regulated through the major ports, the drugs, the high value commodities that really mattered were still getting through. They were being tucked into the shipments of PPE and uh, necessary commodities like that. So if COVID, given how widespread it was, was only a matter of weeks before the networks were able to resume their supply, I can't imagine EncroChat is going to have more of an impact than that. I think it's also worth noting in this that the kinds of illicit commodities, goods and services, and it was also services that were being traded through EncroChat, things like assassinations, often there will be a stockpiling or it will only be dealing with local actors. So another thing COVID showed us actually was how large the drug stockpiles already were in most major European countries, such that it took more than two, three months before there was any noticeable, appreciable change in the quality of drugs, which would suggest that they were cutting them to make supplies last longer, or actually seeing prices change. Typically, a price increase would suggest again that supply was running short. So as I said, if, if it didn't happen in COVID, it didn't happen through EncroChat. And does the number of, of the alleged criminals using this encrypted network surprise you? Um, not particularly. I mean, it's a communication system. EncroChat is one of many similar types of highly secure encrypted communication channels. What we see is that it does tend to be very cliquey. Um, certain networks prefer one communication system over another, and that the way they work is that they create a privileged channel. So if you want them to work, you have to have the people you want to work with on the same channel. So you tend to get one network who will all prefer one or the other. It was the European organized crime groups who were using EncroChat mainly, which is why all these sting operations have been European focused. In Latin America, the preferred uh, company is one known as Phantom Secure. It's used by a lot of the Mexican drug trafficking cartels. But then obviously, if the Mexican drug trafficking cartels want to talk to the European ones, there will be a little bit of overlap in the network. So I think it's precisely because you get a critical mass of users onto one platform that the platform becomes effective. EncroChat is now finished. There have been hundreds of arrests with more to follow, I'm sure, but there were 60,000 users globally. Those users have gone somewhere. So let's give the final word to Joseph Cox from Motherboard. There are still plenty of encrypted phone companies uh, selling these sorts of devices, which I'm pretty sure law enforcement are paying attention to. Uh, another example is when Phantom Secure was shut by the FBI. My understanding is that Sky, another company, took a large percentage of their user base. And I believe something similar has happened with EncroChat. When that shut down, people have to move elsewhere. And I believe Sky took up some of that as well. Another company in the space is Cypher. But now they, they are decreasing in number, at least. And it seems that the, the criminal population are concentrating on a fewer number of these companies simply because they're ceasing to exist now. And of course, organized criminals are still using apps like Wicker. Uh, I mean, for all of the price and sometimes the glitz of an anchor chat phone or a similar device, all in all, a lot of these criminals would actually be a lot safer if they probably used an iPhone 
with a very high uh, entropy passcode, you know, like a 12-digit passcode, and they used Signal or they used Wicker. Like in a lot of cases, that would probably be better than a you know a encrypted phone for three thousand dollars. That's it for this episode of Deep Dive Exploring Organized Crime. Thank you to Jake Moore, Edward Klein, and Tuesday Ritano. A special thank you is reserved for Joseph Cox and Motherboard, who did a lot of the original reporting that this podcast is based on. You can find the links to those investigations in the summary to the show. If you want to read and hear more research into organized crime, head over to the GI's website, www.globalinitiative.net, where you can find our publications and other podcasts. This is Deep Dive, exploring organized crime, the fall of Enquirer chat from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. We'll catch you soon.